0: Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Chef Casey Goff. She's the executive chef, owner, founder of Wolf and Woman Pop-Up, which is a pop-up restaurant she runs out of San Diego, California. She also has another pop-up that she does in partners with Somalia Taylor Club That's Lucky Cricket Pop-Up. You can find both of those on Instagram at Up at Lucky Cricket pop-up too as well. So check those out. I first got introduced to Casey through Instagram. San Diego has this budding food scene that's getting ready to explode kind of on the national stage. And it's always been overshadowed by the LA area because it's so close. She's kind of right in the middle of it with her pop-up. I mean, there's a bunch of different sushi restaurants. The Michelin Guide finally started recognizing stuff that's going on down there too as well in San Diego. So she's in the thick of it and she's getting ready to you know, start working towards opening a brick and mortar spot you know looking for one for her restaurant she wants it to be in San Diego and that's going to be a, an exciting journey to kind of follow along we go through kind of her career line by line as i normally do with people and, and really get into the pop up and different challenges she's faced throughout her career not only because she's a female chef in a male dominated industry but she's also not a white chef too as well cuz she is malaysian that's what she's cooking is this malaysian food that looks super delicious it's kind of in this fine dining style too as well. There's not a whole lot of people that cook Malaysian food and there's even less that do it in kind of notable markets too as well. I mean, you could find, you know, maybe a spot in Chicago or San Francisco, maybe DC, something like that, but it's few and far between and she's definitely doing stuff really unique. It's really interesting and just her whole story is is kind of it's the story that you don't normally get. You know, you get all these profiles of different chefs, especially from the celebrity ones and the famous ones. And, and they might have a challenge here too, but I think her story relates to most chefs because it's, she's not at this fame level yet. She hasn't, you know, reached this pinnacle of her career. So she's coming up through it and it's, it's kind of a slog and it's going through all these different places and you work at this place and like, they're doing this stuff and and they're treating people this way and you go over here and then there's this issue. And I think that's more common than people realize. So it was really cool for her to come on and, and share her story I'm super excited to see kind of where she goes, super excited to eventually get out to San Diego and try her food uh, for myself. She's actually the first guest that we're having on the podcast that I actually haven't eaten at their restaurant or tried their food in some form, shape or manner. So we're going to branch out a little bit and have people that have interesting stories and places that we desperately want to eat at on the podcast. If we can get them on, that'll be kind of a new lane. But up till now, it's everybody that's come on the podcast. I've been able to experience their food firsthand, which is awesome, but we definitely want to highlight... Other chefs that are doing cool, unique stuff across the country that maybe we haven't had a chance to eat at yet, but we're going to sometime in the near future. And and Casey and Wolf and Woman Pop Up is definitely on that list. So check them out on Instagram. She does live up in the mountains. So the audio is a little hit or miss on this one, unfortunately. Just some connection issues. Uh, we did as much as we could to kind of get to a level that's tolerable. So just bear with it. It is just kind of a connection issue. There wasn't a whole lot that we could do, but we cleaned it up as much as we could. So Appreciate everybody. Check out their Instagram. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Chef Casey Goff, the owner of Wolf and Woman Pop-Up in San Diego, California. Thanks again for taking some time and doing the podcast. I've been fortunate enough so far with the podcast. Everybody I've had on actually have eaten their food firsthand or had some sort of interaction. You're the first guest that is just somebody that I've been following for a while on Instagram and. just really, really want to come to San Diego and uh, eat your food. It looks amazing. And, you know, did some looking into kind of your background and your story. And it's super interesting too, as well. And I was like, I knew eventually I was going to have to start having people on the podcast that maybe haven't eaten at the restaurant yet, but want to, and you're kind of the first in that lane. So, you know, you can put that on your social media if you want to, or, (laughs) but uh, we'll start, you know, like I do with everybody starting at the beginning of your career, I mean, take me through it. You know, we'll we'll go in depth here. How did you first get started cooking? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Was that something that you just started doing in high school and kind of fell into?
1: I guess it was more so, I guess, in high school. Like, throughout childhood and everything, my mom always made home-cooked meals. You know, that was kind of just something I grew up with. And in high school, I just, you know, was cooking at home. And then eventually, like your year came around everyone was like well you know, what are you going to be doing after high school and everyone said you should go to culinary school you know you like cooking and then I was like okay I guess I'll do that maybe that makes sense you know after a recession going to spend a bunch of money in culinary school you don't have so I went to culinary school in 2009 got a degree um end up getting a tendinitis in my right hand That right when I graduated from school and was working, kind of kicked me out of the industry for about a year. I ended up having surgery on my hand, um, but my left hand ended up getting it because I had to pick up the load for a year. Just my right hand could not do anything. So um, I ended up kind of moving to the front of the house for a little bit throughout the last decade. So I've worked every position in a restaurant from front to back, but, um, you know, cooking has been where my heart's been at. So, you know, every chance I got, I, you know, try to make my way back to the kitchen. But on um, the last few years, I've been dealing with some arthritis in my hands. So like trying to be aligned is really laborious already. So, I've been doing Wolf and Woman for about four years. That's, you know, what I've been just working on. Um, I was still working full time in a restaurant up until the pandemic, you know, kind of threw everything for a curveball this last year and a half. And I've just been trying to make this work, you know, trying to make something work, kind of figure it out.
0: So did you start cooking in like high school? Did you ever work at a restaurant where were you strictly just kind of going to school and then decided after high school to go to culinary school?
1: Yeah, I was just kind of cooking at home. Through childhood, I always watched like PBS and the cooking shows. like took that ladies and all that. And, you know, Rachel Ray 30-minute meals that I always say, uh, someone kind of gave me some stuff about going. I was like, I think I'm such a good line cook because of watching the Rachel Ray 30-minute meals because you had to work so fast. And I could like, cur- you know, kind of put it in my brain on how to make things, you know, do this and do that. And then food was always kind of like a part of my life. And maybe I just didn't know that was a direction I was going to go into. But I mean, is something that I'm really passionate about and love. So despite how hard this industry has been, it's you know definitely where my heart has been.
0: So you went to the art institutes, you got a culinary degree there, and then you were going for, I think, food and beverage management too, as well. But I think you wound up uh, not completing that looking back on it now, would, what would you do differently? Would you just not go to culinary school and just work in kitchens?
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what I tell other people. It's like, you know, kind of look out and see that, you know, inspire you. I would have definitely liked just kind of getting my bearings in the industry. Cause you, even at culinary school, you always started at the bottom anyways and had to work your way up. So I kind of wish I just went that route. And that's kind of what I tell, you know, other people getting into the industry, like young people, you know, just find places you want to work and who you want to learn from and try to seek out mentorship if you can.
0: When you were going for the food and beverage degree and wound up deciding to just kind of get out of school, what kind of led to that process? Was it just not really getting anything from it kind of information wise or what led you to decide to finally kind of take that leap and go like. I'm kind of done with school. I want to get into the the real world and and start cooking.
1: Well, I was, I was in the industry um, towards the end of my associates program. So I was working in the industry, but it was just, it was so much time to dedicate in school and try to have a full-time job. And I had just moved to LA. And so I was like, I can't work full-time and go to school anymore. This is like super hard. And it, just really expensive. I was having a hard time even getting loans, even though, you know, my parents were never really well off, so I could never get grants for some reason, but that's kind of what those schools did to people. So eventually it was just kind of like finances and life decisions that were like this. It just makes more sense that I need to work and we really can kind of get my foot in the door that way.
0: Once you kind of got out, you were working at Leonese Sellers, right? As a pantry cook, that was kind of like your first job outside of culinary school.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would towards the end of culinary school. um, I was working at a different winery. There was some sexual harassment going on there. And so I was really quick to leave when I could. Um, And then I ended up getting a job at that. And I was there for um, a little bit, but that's when I ended up getting tendonitis in my wrist.
0: How did that opportunity come about? Was it just like, did you go and apply?
1: No, actually, um, the, the chef of that was running the place and also his sous chef that was helping him out were two instructors at the school. When I was in my graduating restaurant class, the, my chef instructor was actually his sous chef. And I was telling him I was working at the other winery um, and he was just kind of poking fun that I was the enemy. I gave my resume with like, you know, no, nothing on it except school and that winery to the chef. And I said, I want a job. And then I went into stage and uh, then ended up working there.
0: So after that, you wind up working, I think, as a assistant pastry chef at the Malibu Pier Restaurant and Bar, right?
1: Yeah, that's um, I was originally going as a host there. And uh, Jason in full love wanted to be on. He wanted me to come back into the kitchen and wanted me to do pastry. He said um, that would probably be the easiest thing for me. That was, that was my first opening and that was, uh, openings are crazy and my hands, you know, they could, they couldn't keep up still with me. So eventually uh, I was supposed to be the assistant pastry. I end up kind of taking over the role because the pastry chef left on us during that opening. And I was, I was like, I have no business being in this position because I'm not a pastry chef. <laughs> I have no clue what I'm doing. So that, that was a little crazy.
0: What was the most difficult part of becoming kind of a pastry chef or taking on that role before that you're always kind of used to working on the line and stuff and then you take pastries a whole different thing and I've talked to a couple people that have done it they usually said like it was just the shift change like the hours having to get up super early in the morning to get to the restaurant and start prepping and doing all the pastry stuff or being there late at night and stuff like that but what was the most difficult challenge with that transition for you?
1: The most difficult thing was more like I had just moved to LA and I was on my own for the first time, wasn't used to LA traffic. So like I wasn't, you know, had to get up early in the mornings to get to the job in Malibu at seven in the morning. And I get stuck in traffic for like two hours trying to get to the Pacific coast highway. And it was a nightmare. And then uh, when we first were opening, they were doing some movie shoot into the parking lot. So we couldn't park in like the only parking lot off of Pacific coast highway. So I had to teach myself how to parallel park while cars are zooming past you. And it was so hectic. Trying to eat pastry is like a different ballpark. It it definitely is, you know, so precise. It's something I struggle with till this day. Like I'm it's just not my area.
0: Did you never have to take like a parallel parking for the driver's exam?
1: No, I grew up in a suburban town. So our parallel parking was pulling up to this side sidewalk and that was it. It wasn't parallel parking. So I was trying not to die. So I can parallel park well.
0: Yeah, we always had had these like cones set up that they're supposed to be like the size of like a parking space or a car. And then you would drive into it and they'd tell you left or right. And then you would have to like back out of this like little maze thing that they set up. At least here in Ohio, like, I don't know if it's still the same because this was like 15, like 17 years ago. But if you hit a cone, it was like an automatic fail. And then you would have to come back and like do it again, like a week later or something like that. But then after that, when you're doing the pastry chef stuff and then you wind up going to uh, and Co. was next, right? Focus on pasta making.
1: I, uh, yeah, I was at um, Union, their sister restaurant. I was hosting at the Wallace in Culver City, but I also ended up taking on the job at Union. So I was working two different places at that time um, from morning until night. And those hours were really crazy because the pasta production team had to get there. I got there at six in the morning and I lived in Culver City, and that was in Pasadena, completely on the other side of the city, get there. And get your doughs made. You're going to be sheeting doughs that morning. And that restaurant was like, it was, it's in like old town Pasadena. And it's, there was like a basement that used to be a former speakeasy back in like prohibition times. And it was just like this long, dark corridor that was so creepy. And when I had to be like the first one that showed up there, I usually like avoided for an hour to go down there if I could, but That one was a crazy one because then we end up going to the opening for need and company because like the different locations, it's we kind of learn like, you know, with like dough making and stuff like that. A lot of like your terroir, like your environment goes into like the dough. So if like it's really humid that day, you're not going to need as much water to like hydrate it. So there was one time in the opening when all of our recipes, you know, were made for union. And when we use them into the need space, I think we had it probably was like 40 pounds of dough that were just not right. And we couldn't figure out why at the time. And then also, um, our flour mill was like milling their durum a little bit differently too. So we ended up having to like throw away like 40 pounds of dough. And it was like really horrific and catastrophic. And I was like, it was pretty awful. But that was a little crazy. That opening was probably one of the hardest and most traumatic openings i've gone through
0: what made it so difficult
1: um i guess like the culture of it it just wasn't it wasn't like a nice environment to work in it was really toxic and you were overworked a lot and just not appreciated
0: you know looking back From this point, kind of through your career, like, were you real calculated with the places that you were going? You know, you did some pastry, worked on a line before that, you're focused on pasta making. It feels like you're kind of, and I don't know if this was intentional or if it was just these were the jobs that were coming up that were interesting to you at the time or jobs that you were able to get, but it seems like you're almost compiling all these little skill sets along the way. Was that something that you were intentionally doing or is just something that kind of happened?
1: Yeah, it was definitely, I wanted to learn as much as I could in this industry. So I tried to just take any opportunity to, you know, learn at really great places was like, you know, that's been my intention the whole time is to just not like have a job. I always wanted to be like filling for my career and for myself. I was, I was hired to go into Evan Funky's opening for Felix to do pasta again and things didn't work out. Um, at that time. And then that's when I shot off to Seattle. I'm done with LA.
0: (laughs) What took you to Seattle? How did you wind up going up there?
1: I was just like, I'm done with LA. I'm done with California. Let me go check somewhere else out. And I was kind of bouncing between Seattle or Austin. I definitely wanted to go to I just wanted to kind of get out of also the, just like the partiness that this industry can, you know, have. Um, and I ended up getting a job in Seattle. And then it was a little crazy. Seattle, they party too much. <laughs> I wish I never went there.
0: With the L.A. food scene, is it super competitive? Is it, you know, a new restaurant kind of gets announced that it's going to open and like just everybody kind of floods to that restaurant to apply? Or like, is it just kind of like every other city where you know, you're constantly kind of working your connections to see like, what's new, what I want to work there, kind of all that stuff.
1: It's definitely competitive. So when you're kind of trying to get your name out there, or like wanting to work somewhere really great, there's, there's definitely a lot of other people, you know, shooting for that spot. And then if, you know, trying to make your own name, it's hard, you it's kind of like, it can be really clicky in that industry. So there's like that about it. And then It's just there is a lot going on and there was like a huge kind of like culture shock when I had went to to Seattle um, because I was so used to L.A. openings. You know, there were people, you know, months on end, you know, hours in line wanting to like come eat there, come to this place. And it was so anticipated. And then going to Seattle where like it wasn't like that, like I was in one opening that was just like no one was there. And like, there was like bartenders that couldn't make their rent because they weren't making money. And I was like, this is nuts. Like L.A., people are going wild for like a new spot in the neighborhood.
0: So when you finally get up to Seattle, what was the biggest difference between cooking in L.A. and cooking in Seattle? Aside from, you know, not having, I guess, people show out for new restaurants and stuff like that. But was there anything different in terms of style or ingredients or anything like that comparing the two?
1: The ingredients are just really beautiful up there. I mean, because there's just so much greenery. The style, I guess like you're kind of going to get more of like the new American feel in cuisine. So kind of a big influence of, you know, uh, the different cultures of people that, you know, maybe live in the area. And then utilizing a lot of local ingredients is pretty big up there. There's just little things that were different that I like that I noticed was that they cooked with carbon pans. Like for everything and not just like saute pans, that was like a unique thing about Seattle. But yeah, I think those things were, it wasn't much different, like with California kind of using, you know, their local ingredients and everything. Because it's really big here with like just, you know, we have so many great farms in this state and especially in Southern California.
0: How did you like the weather in Seattle compared to L.A.?
1: Very big difference. So when everyone asks like, oh, why would you leave California? Like there's sunshine there. I was like, I've had enough sun. And then I made it two years in Seattle and definitely not having the sunshine. It does take its toll on your health. But the summers, I will say, are the most incredible things ever. It's so beautiful there, like out on the water and having a good time. It's so lovely during summer for three months.
0: Yeah, I was fortunate enough the one time that I've been able to visit Seattle so far, it was yeah, it was in July, which everybody there is like, "Oh yeah, July, August and September are like the 3 months that you can come here. <laughs> the rest of the year is kind of like it's going to be rainy or cold or cloudy or whatever."
1: Yeah, it's not like rainy, rainy. It like drizzles most of the time and it's just so gloomy. It compared to like maybe like 20 years ago in California used to get storms and rain here it like pours rain here. And I know this girl I just met recently that's from Seattle and she experienced like an actual rainstorm here. And she's like, Oh my God, we don't get this in Seattle. And I'm like, this isn't even rain in California. We're in a drought again.
0: <laughs> and then you went to no, fried chicken and whiskey, which was a Hawaiian restaurant. Was that kind of the first time that you got close to kind of cooking the style of food that you wanted to with Hawaiian being closer to malaysian cuisine than really you know french is
1: that place was definitely had like some asian fusion in there so um the chef that was kind of was running the place is just like super talented had like a michelin background but the food we were doing there was very humble fried chicken of course but um everything was just so incredible um, we did do a lot of fun things, like you know, chili crab pasta. You know, we used a lot of like, Asian ingredients, like gai-lon and things like that. That place was the busiest place in Seattle I worked, and it it you know it cranked out food I had so much fried chicken. I guess that was definitely a little closer to what I'm doing now. Like most of my career, I guess I didn't know what direction I was going to go in. I knew I, you know, I wanted to learn a lot of different techniques and I, I wanted to be very open to learning, you know, different styles of cuisine. It wasn't, you know, until a few years ago when I realized like I'm not as familiar with my own heritage. And that's kind of when I started exploring that. And that's kind of where I'm at with where my food is at now.
0: Yeah. Cause you started your pop-up December, 2017, Wolf and Woman. What made you want to do a pop-up?
1: Um, definitely have been tired working for people. Um, you know, it's I've never had much kind of like given to me in my career when it's come to like learning and opportunities. And so, you know, I you know, this was never a job for me. You no, know, I always it was always something more just like wanting to be a little more creative and and just going into that direction. I had been trying to kind of get a pop-up going um in 2014 and I kind of did a couple little things there and um then when I was in Seattle I I made friends with like a lot of really talented chefs up there and then one of them we just him and I could just talk about food all day and like come up with like the coolest like dishes and menus and so one day I was like this is what I'm gonna do do you want to do this with me and so um we initially did that together, but things didn't work out um, business-wise, so um, it ended up, you know, it's been me, and we kind of parted ways on that, but I've just been, you know, the end goal has always been hoping for a brick and mortar out of this, and, you know, hoping I catch someone's eye that you know, believes and wants to invest in what I'm doing, so that's kind of been the road I'm on, and, you know, the pandemic's really crazy, like, working that, and it, trying to figure out where this has all been because, so oh, I launched in San Diego and it's been really surreal that I, like there's any recognition or people like wondering, oh, what's going on over there? And it's a little overwhelming because I'm like, wait, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you popped up in, in San Diego. What made you kind of want to move back? Because originally when you started your pop-up, you were doing kind of like New American Cuisine like Pacific Northwest ingredients. And then eventually you switch to really your heritage, which is Malaysian. And you started cooking Malaysian Tamil cuisine. So like what made you want to make that switch? Like how did you come to terms with that?
1: Um I think like always that missing puzzle piece and my like food and you know just asking myself question like, you know, because you know you want to put yourself into the things that you're doing and like put your heart into it and You know, when I was looking at what I'm doing, I'm like, this, you know, this isn't me. There's something that's just not there. And then that's kind of when I asked myself, I was like, wait, like, I don't, I don't really know my heritage that way. You know, there's things like I've grown up with and my mom has, you know, cooked throughout my childhood. But a lot of this stuff now, um, it's just like things that she's grown up with too that I never even had.
0: Where's the name come from? How'd you come up with the name?
1: Yeah, it's a poem by Nikita Gill, and some days I'm more women, and I'm still learning how to stop apologizing for my wild.
0: What made you kind of decide to to leave Seattle? I mean, obviously, the weather was a big component, but you could have gone anywhere, and you went kind of back to California. It was just because your family's there?
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't like, my mental health wasn't doing so well at this point, um, and I was just like, I need to come back. You know, I don't have, like, any support system here at all. And, you know, so I came back to L.A. Um, and I was there for a little bit and then um, had a family member pass away and then got out of a really bad relationship. So that's when I was like, OK, I need I need to move back home for a little. And shortly after you know, the pandemic hit and then, you know, the everyone's world got flipped upside down.
0: Yeah. I mean, you kind of moved your pop-up and everything like it was like 2019. Then the pandemic starts at the beginning of 2020. What did you do during the pandemic? Cause I mean, a lot of the restaurants were closed LA and you know, most of California was on a lockdown for extended period of time more so than some other States. How did you kind of fill the time Were you just kind of working on Wolf and woman branding and website and stuff like that? Or what'd you do?
1: No, I, everything was a standstill. There was just like really nothing to do. Um, when last fall came around, I, when things were kind of like, you know, maybe loosening up a little bit, I tried getting some meal kits going and those weren't too successful, you know, nothing to really live on. And then, um, you know, once the new year came around this year, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know, even know if I have a career left, like, is it time to kind of, you know, throw in the towel and you know, pick a different job, pick a different industry? Is that even possible right now? Like how, how do you even start over when there's, you know, over 10 years of an investment into something that you've been working on? And then I, I, I reached out and did a dinner for Women's History Month with one of the cider parks in San Diego. And then it was just snowballed after that. And it's just kind of been momentum has just been going and going and going.
0: Now, you don't live in San Diego, right? Like you commute to San Diego. Is that correct?
1: I commute. I live a little two hours north up in the mountains.
0: Because, yeah, I remember from your Instagram, I think you posted, like, you've been in, like, two car accidents, I think, this year so far.
1: Yeah, I was in one last year, and then um, two months ago, I was turning into the venue for a farm dinner. I was doing a two-day farm dinner, and I was turning into the venue, and it was just a stupid turn. And I got T-boned, and, like, everything that I've, like, invested into the last four years was in my car but I mean I'm okay I I got hit in the head I had the only thing I couldn't fit into the coolers was frozen watermelon sorbet and that hit me so hard in the head when I got hit and I was covered in sorbet um and then everything was just broken and destroyed so been trying to bounce back from that one
0: you're doing all these pop-ups how do you find these different locations is it just constant like networking like reaching out to people like hey you know would you guys be interested in hosting a pop-up at your facility or whatever or do people reach out to you or like hey you know we're not normally open on mondays do you want to come and do a pop-up here like how does that all kind of work
1: it's mostly been like constant networking on my end just seeing you know who would be really cool to collaborate with a lot of it has been with like beverage people and then um I've had maybe, I think, just for the dinner in December that's coming up, I um, had one of the PR firms in San Diego say that uh, the resort was looking for another chef to add on to their guest chef series. And the woman who runs the PR firm is just so nice and she kind of like throws out little opportunity things that she hears of for me so that's kind of like the first thing that I've been invited to I think um so far so it's kind of finally a lot of like the work on my end is paying off that some people are interested in and wanting to um business with.
0: That's awesome to hear that it's finally kind of snowballing for you. You did a pop-up in Austin. Are you open to doing pop-ups like in different cities too as well that you can do? Or how'd you kind of decide on doing that?
1: I've been, you know, trying to kind of like get my, you know, my name out there and everything that I'm doing. And since I like don't have a brick and mortar, you know, it's like, it's fun to be able to like maybe go work with some other people, especially, you know, people like, Born and domestic who are, you know, very respected in Austin and, you know, just like people that you look up to in the industry, like when you've been coming up and um, to like have opportunity to like work with them and be hosted by them is um, really cool. And then I can, you know, kind of uh, see what's going on in other places and kind of like I'll build my name like that, build a network of more people.
0: How do you differentiate like menus for all the different, cause you do a lot of pop-ups. I think normally like a pop-up restaurant, they're like, oh yeah, you know, they kind of find a space that's fairly consistent and like they do, you know, one or two dinners a week. Right. But you're just, I mean, you're hustling, you're bouncing all over the place, doing all sorts of different dinners. You know, like I said, Austin, I mean, you're in all these different wineries and stuff, just any opportunity that you can to cook, it seems, which is definitely the way you have to go about it. How do you differentiate all the menus? Do you kind of get a feel for like the space first and that kind of helps with creativity? Or is it who you're working with that you're kind of trying to vibe off of? Or how do you determine, you know, what you're going to cook?
1: Um, if I am collaborating Pete, with someone, it is kind of like the vibe, um, of like what they're bringing. Um, I definitely take into consideration like the location and like the type of demographics that are already coming there. And, and I try to try to make the menu like that makes sense for the, the people that are already maybe coming to those establishments. So sometimes maybe it's, um. Not being so adventurous or crazy with ingredients or like certain try to make them a little more familiar for people. Um, that's usually how I kind of like drive things. And also just, you know, the seasons and everything and what's available from, you know, the, the farms and the fisheries and everyone that providing some really great products for people.
0: So you're constantly like kind of on your toes almost, right? With creating a menu, then it's really dependent upon like five or six different things.
1: There's. I try to keep things as like if a menu is released, I try to keep like that's what it's going to be. But sometimes that you know, you know, maybe the fish changes because they didn't catch it that day, or you know, like we had a cold front move in like right before summer, so a lot of the summer um, crops were set back like a month and a half. So. What I had corn on the menu wasn't going to be on the menu because I couldn't find it anywhere. You know, I didn't want to go to the grocery store and like get that because you know not what I try to be about.
0: <laughs> I mean, you also started another kind of pop up too, right? Lucky Cricket with uh, Sommelier Taylor Burke. I mean, you guys just did a dinner last night,
1: I think, right? Yes, we did. <laughs> um, yes, that's so exciting. Um, Taylor has, she's been working with uh, Brian Miller's uh, restaurant group for seven years. Um, and she's a chef as well. But she moved into the wine side um, over the last few years. And so she's kind of taken over um, their as a wine director for them. And um, she reached out to me a few months ago. I'm um, interested if I collaborate with sommeliers and i told her yeah of course like i i definitely want to you know collaborate with as many um people as i can especially people on the wine side because you know that's i know what wines i like but i don't know wine like that what was originally supposed to be like a 15 person dinner in her backyard and we were gonna do like really adventurous ingredients like awful and stuff and then uh it ended up turning into like a huge kind of like warehouse dinner and like an actual seated dinner. And it's like it's a, a bigger thing than we both had even thought was gonna it's gonna turn into.
0: You just had that many people that wanted tickets to it. Was that what happened?
1: No, um we just we ended up uh we weren't able to host it in her backyard anymore. And so we were kind of still looking for an intimate spot. So we were reaching out to some other people that had some spaces. Um and eventually we came into the, the warehouse space and it was really big. And I was like, well, maybe we should just do you know, something that's a little bit larger. And then, so, um, we're like, okay. And we decided that we'd, um, you know, do a larger dinner. And then eventually I kind of made the call that we'd socially distance people again, cause we were going to do like a communal dinner, but you know, Delta was going crazy. So we ended up like socially distancing the tables and kind of, um, it just kind of filled the space a little bit more, and it was more of, I guess, like a vibe that, like, I always envisioned Wolf and Woman would be. Just kind of like having that that feel of things, like, you know, bringing that Southeast Asian like night market and, but like a lot of culture and like city and artwork that I've like always wanted, and um, that's been really cool. So it's like transformed into to something bigger and and a lot more incredible.
0: Do you do most of the prep at your house? and then just like bring all the stuff with you or do you do any like prep you basically try and live it as much as you have to do on site right
1: um it so if i'm like doing with other restaurants of course for like prepping in their space i have a commissary because i'm you know i this year got fully licensed and i'm not like super underground anymore um but you know like some things that you know they still kind of they get either prepped here or they'll be at like the commissary just to you know keep things in compliance what's the biggest
0: difference between wolf and woman and and lucky cricket
1: I think it's just like having, it's just like the, the character of it all. Because, you know, of course, it's, you know, Taylor, her vision is involved in it as well. And then Wolf and Women brings the food and everything. And then the, the space and how we like transform it and the way it looks is definitely very collaborative. Um, it's definitely like a, a bigger thing than like me and Wolf and Women and everything. <laughs> if that makes sense.
0: I totally get what you're saying. Like, it's not just, there's more people, you know, that are coming to the dinners or anything like that, or that you guys can do bigger stuff, but it's, there's a wine component too. And it's, it's really like a, just a bigger pop-up essentially.
1: Yeah. It's just like a, it's definitely an extension off of Wolf and Woman that's just been, um, you know, taken to another level and just like that, I, the vibe and kind of what we're bringing is just unique in its own.
0: Do you think you'll be able to expand both simultaneously or are both going to be like different ends of the same kind of goal for you, which is kind of eventually brick and mortar?
1: Um, I think Lucky Cricket will most likely stay as a project for both Taylor and I, just with where we're at in our careers. I think Wolf and Woman will be the one that will eventually branch into a brick and mortar if I'm lucky. But, you know, we'll see. I'm just, I'm trying to, I think like everyone is just trying to like stay optimistic and positive and focused and consistent. But it's like, you know, it's hard with everything going on still like to to try to keep going.
0: We mentioned the car accidents earlier, but I mean, you know, you travel a couple of hours to do your pop-ups in San Diego, broken plates have been shipped to you. I mean, I saw that Instagram post. You helped publish a recipe book, I think a couple of years ago, back in 2018. I think you're working on a memoir too, as well. Like, you're and you're one of the busiest people. Like, at least from what I can tell from Instagram and all the different pop-ups that you're doing across Lucky Cricket, Wolf and Woman, and everything. How do you kind of keep it all straight? How do you keep going and keep pushing? Because it just seems like you're doing so much, like all over the place. But it's it all looks amazing.
1: I don't know. You know, I think that's a lot of like pep talking, like that inner lo- monologue that is like. You know, I think we can all be like our harshest critics. And um, sometimes I, one of the biggest things I've been trying to do lately is to stay present and to be like, you know, I'm like, this is where I've worked hard to be. And um, I need to like cut myself some slack because, you know, I'm actually doing a lot. And, you know, it is all me like doing it. And I have to give myself some credit to that.
0: You know, going through everything that you have within the culinary industry, you know, all the different restaurants and harassment and verbal, physical abuse, like a whole bunch of people have taken on and undertook different places that they've worked, you know, mental, emotional abuse, like all that stuff. Has it all been worth it looking back on it so far?
1: I don't know. I'm really bitter about my career. If I'm honest with you, there's a lot of like pain and trauma that comes from the last decade. I guess the way I'm trying to like harness that is to just, you know, definitely speak out against it and, you know, hope to be part of the change. in you know, these upcoming years when the industry is building itself to just be better for everyone and just be healthier and be a place that people want that can thrive and want to be here. And that, you know, the people that love doing what they do, that it's not going to come at a cost of, you know, their mental health or their physical health or, or even at the loss of their careers, you know, that people can be here because they love it and they can be creative and there's opportunity and there's growth here. And there's also not all bad people, hopefully all the bad people (laughs) stop being bad (laughs) or just go away.
0: The West Coast, you know, is definitely more progressive than, you know, where I live in Middle America. Do you think Malaysian food, you know, the stuff that you're cooking could work in bigger cities across kind of like the U.S. or even to the Midwest, like outside of Chicago?
1: Um, I definitely think so. I think, you know, um, there's always like some small towns you'll run into that has like that one Thai food place or that one place. And I definitely think there's, you know, a place for it.
0: Is California where you want to be, like where you eventually want to open up your own restaurant or are you open to like other locations? Like obviously you've been to Austin, you did your pop up there. So you got to kind of check out that city. You've lived in Seattle. So that's probably not somewhere where you want to open your own restaurant based on what you went through and everything. But is it for sure going to be California because that's like where your family is or are you still kind of open to just whatever kind of comes your way?
1: Um, I mean, I'm not a closed door on it. I am open, but like definitely at this point in my life, um, being closer to family, um, I think San Diego's what I'm going to be working towards, you know, my, my plan is to be, I just, I think there's a lot of potential going on in San Diego right now. I don't think they've been like, as recognized as they could or should have been for like the food down there. And I think there's just a lot of exciting things going on right now. I think in the next few years, it's going to be kind of on the map, you know, like LA is.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like it's just, it's like just starting to kind of blow up and get some national recognition here and there where before it was definitely overshadowed by LA because they were, they're so close. It's only what it's like an hour between the two. If you hit traffic, right?
1: Um, it's a little more, depending on, I guess, which way you're going. It could be about two hours, maybe. I'm in between it, and it's, it would take me about three hours to get to L.A. just because the freeways are awful.
0: The metro system doesn't run all the way
1: down there, right? Um, If on the coast it does, but if you're coming inland, you're, uh the train comes like into uh one of the counties over here and then you'd be kind of switching a couple buses and then it just it's not that great
0: so yeah i mean like a lot of chefs have done kind of the pop-up model or switch to it the private catering has become kind of a big thing where you know chefs will come into your home and, and cook you a fantastic dinner and everything a lot of that i think is because of the pandemic people kind of shifted what they were doing with you know restaurants closing or or them getting laid off and everything do you think more chefs will kind of continue towards that model instead of the traditional brick and mortar route?
1: I'm thinking so. I'm thinking a lot of like everyone's been talking about ghost kitchens as well. You know, I think the industry has been also talking about like just doing like that quick service type of concept that's, you know, makes a lot more sense because, you know, there's you don't make much money when you're doing really, you know, nice sit down food to like, you know, meet your margins and pay everything you need to pay when you're doing something on that level. Um, I think, and especially with the pandemic and, you know, there's going to be so much that like needs to be done to like recover that I think it's going to be more in that direction of like pop-ups and like quick service type of things. And like those concepts that are um, just going to make a little more sense
0: you also sell masala through your website
1: too, right? Yes, I've been working on a little masala line, been working on some condiments and stuff, that, you know, kind of been lagging on that. But um, a lot of those are, you know, South Indian inspired, a little, you know, American inspired as well.
0: So do you plan on expanding kind of on the packaged goods, things that you can kind of ship to people if they're interested?
1: Yeah, I want to. I want there to be like a a full line that uh, could be sold, like, you know, like the little boutique stores down here and stuff that people are really interested in. Um, Because I think that's definitely going to, if I can get that out there and brand it properly, it will, you know, hopefully carry me through some of the times when, you know, the pop-up's not able to be done.
0: This next question comes from Chef Matthew Hagans. He's a chef owner here in Columbus. Uh, He's a previous guest on the podcast. He owns Preston's, a burger joint here. He left behind a question What way do you feel like you can be a better citizen in the hospitality
1: industry going forward? Just being a good person. I've always, you know, I've worked for some places that were really hard to work. And I knew that I didn't want to be that kind of employer or just the kind, that kind of person. And I think it's really important to just be kind to the people for you or that you do business with and that are around you and just, you know, have those kind of leadership skills. I think those are important. It's not, um, you know, less ego and more heart.
0: What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest on the podcast?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um... Where do they think the industry will be headed towards in like the next two years?
0: So, I got a handful of more questions for you. These are the ones that we ask to everybody who comes on the podcast. So, there's a compare and contrast. First question for you: Who was the biggest influence on your career thus far, your culinary career?
1: Um, I, I mean, I guess that would be my mom because that's what you know why I'm cooking.
0: What's the one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without?
1: I guess plating spoons.
0: What's uh, one thing in a restaurant that you would not fix yourself? Now, I know you're doing a pop-up, so you kind of have to fix most everything. But when you were working in a restaurant, if something would break, what was the kind of the one thing that you weren't going to try and fix yourself?
1: Anything that had to do with the grease trap.
0: What's one restaurant in San Diego that you'd recommend that isn't your own?
1: Oh, man, there's a lot down here. I recently had dinner at Hoxton Manor that just opened up. Um, they're doing like Vietnamese, Southeast Asian, like influenced cuisine. The chef is, um, he has a background in that kind of like Malaysian, Southeast Asian food too. Um, and uh, he formerly has come from Dominique Cren's place too. That And so he's like running the, running the menu over there. And that place was really, really good to eat at. So I definitely have been recommending it to people.
0: Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. Is there a place that you definitely want to go to whenever you get a chance to travel? What's one place that you want to eat at that you haven't been able to yet?
1: Um, I really want to go to Malaysia and go to a restaurant called Candlenet. They are, I think they have one Michelin and they're doing Peronican cuisine, which is um, a specific kind of uh, like regional uh, cuisine in Malaysia. So that would be really interesting to see like, you know, food that I am doing represented on like that level. Um, Place I want to travel to, um, I really been wanting to go to Valle de Guadalupe. It's like a wine country in Baja, California. And it looks like it's, you know, there's a lot of chefs doing things down there right now too. And it just looks really beautiful.
0: Yeah. And I think Candlenut, they also have, they have two restaurants. They have one in Singapore and then they have another one in Malaysia. And I think it's in the capital city in Malaysia because the one in Singapore, I think has, it might be two Michelin starred now. I don't remember off the top of my head, but craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working.
1: So there was, there's this one that I, I feel so bad if John ever hears this and knows that I'm still telling this story till this day. But, um, years ago, this was when I was at Mono. Um, John, he was our pantry cook and he was, um, he was pretty green. This was like his second place. I think his first time on like a line and, um, the rest of us were all women on the line. And you know, we kind of like cooked a lot of fun, and like gave him, you know, a lot of tough love because he was younger too. He was the youngest out of all of us. He was nineteen. So I, you know, even though I, I was the one that gave him like the hardest time, I was always there to help him um, with everything. So like, if he like messed something up, I'd help him fix it, or you know, help him hide it and not get in trouble. And so he always asked me for help, and so and. This pantry station was like the smallest pantry station I've ever, you know, in a restaurant I've worked. So he had to do a lot of little side duties for us, like scrub the burners for us, and he had to purge the chicken and it uh, be in this huge giant container. And so we, uh, the dishwasher would help him pour it out, and he had to like, you know, take care of the the chicken that was going to be turned into fried chicken for us. And then this one service um, where he had just got out of uh, out of his push, and so. Uh, you know, all the, the main dinner courses were coming in for me. And all of a sudden, like I hear him in the most distressed call, like scream my name. And he's just like, Casey, help me. But I look over and he's like swinging a mop around, me, but not using it properly. That kitchen is completely flooded, like 10 by 10 flooded. And I just burst into laughter and I like run over I take the mop away from him I look at the drain catcher and for some reason it's probably to to the brim like 10 pounds of rice was filled in there for some reason like the other cook was washing rice and then didn't clean up so the so the water didn't go through and it flooded the kitchen And so I'm just like, I'm dying at this point. And I, I run to the dish pit because it's like going into the service station. I don't want anyone to slip and fall. And I go to grab the squeegee that's hanging up in the pipes. And when I grab it, only the stick comes off and the squeegee's hanging up there still. So I just, I, I start, I'm almost crying because I'm laughing so hard. I grab the hand squeegee from the dishwasher and this thing is so beat up. You have to like hold it together and then um, I run back and then I start squeezing as fast as I can. And like John is standing there completely mortified and I'm laughing so hard. My the CDC, my chef Alicia, she was just she wasn't laughing at all. She was not happy. And so she has to go and start clearing my tickets and squeezing as fast as I can to get the, the water under control. And it probably took me about like 15 or 20 minutes because it was so flooded. I go and open the walk-in and that was flooded too. And I was like, how much like water like did not go down this drain. And um, it was just, it's so funny. And that was maybe not like the worst thing I've ever seen, but that was probably the funniest thing that like, I just, I just still remember that like it was yesterday.
0: Food or drink guilty pleasure. I, I know you don't drink, but uh, is there a food guilty pleasure that um, just something that like, even if you're going up and down the aisles of the grocery store, you're like, eh, I kind of got to stay away from that aisle. Like this is down there. And I know if I go down there, I'm going to buy it kind of thing.
1: Um, guilty pleasure. I don't know. I don't know that one. I don't think I, I mean, chips. I guess like I'll just eat chips all day. So I usually like, don't get them that often. Or I try to get myself to get, you know, like the healthy ones that are like the the rice cake ones or whatever that are like healthy. So it's not like bad.
0: Is there a kind of chips flavor or brand?
1: Usually like kettle, the kettle ones are like the jalapeno or like salt and vinegar.
0: Favorite dish kind of thing you've ever cooked, created when like looking back on your career, you can kind of point to like that moment that you're like, Yes, I for sure can do this professionally as a chef that first time that like you were really, really happy with something that you cooked, created kind of your aha moment
1: I have to be I think a lot of like lately I've like had the aha moments in what I'm doing, but also a lot of like, oh, you know, like there's so much I'm like still learning, and there's still like there's little things of like just that you know just that I'm pushing and doing all these things and they're They're really ambitious and creative is just, I don't know. (laughs) I guess that's just what it is. I don't know if there's like one specific dish because there's just so much going on.
0: Do you have like a favorite dish that you cook whenever you can like incorporate it on the menu, put it on there kind of thing?
1: The one thing that's been pretty consistent has been rasam. It's a South Indian uh, tamarind soup. And that one's just, it's just so comforting for me because it's something like my mom makes. So it's been something that I've like wanted to share with everyone else. And so that one has been very consistent. And then I've kind of played around with um, like the makeup of that and kind of making it a little more contemporary, like putting um, like different things in it, not just having the Rossum. So that's been fun to play around with as well, but then also share something that's um, very like dear to me.
0: I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is. Uh, If you were, was there a favorite moment, episode, scene that always stands out to you about him? Or if you weren't, is there another kind of culinary personality, whether it's like an Emeril or a Julia Child or somebody that you always kind of gravitated towards?
1: Definitely an Anthony Bourdain fan. And it was very tragic the day he passed, I think for everyone in the industry. I think just him being so outspoken And he didn't, you know, filter what he, he felt in his heart, but then also was just like, you know, very compassionate and very like eager to kind of learn things that he was maybe unfamiliar with, like other cultures. And just like the way he, his story writing was just really, you know, beautiful.
0: Where can people find you? Social media, website, reservations, plug all your stuff.
1: I am at Wolf and Woman Pop-Up on Instagram. The website is wolfenwomanrestaurant.com And there's some um, things for reservations, and uh, little things on the website that people check out.
0: And then you're also Lucky Cricket Pop-Up on Instagram too, but you guys are not doing any more dinners for the rest of the year for that, right?
1: Yeah, I think we're having like, uh, just a weird wave of like after summer Delta going into winter that people just they're not really looking for events right now. So I think we're gonna just kind of um, do something simple for like Halloween and then like a little like market for uh, November and then kind of circle back around um, in spring. And that's probably what I'm doing with Wolf and Woman as well. Just trying to finish off some of uh, these end of the year dinners and then come back in spring.
0: We'll probably see you hopefully in the spring then when you kind of start everything back up. I don't know if we'd be able to make it out to San Diego in time for anything in like December or not, but, uh, I was looking at flights to San Diego the other day, so who knows? Uh, and I'm sure once my wife listens to this, she'll probably do two things. Ask me when we're going to San Diego to eat your Malaysian food. And then also probably order masala off your website. If I had to guess, uh, those two things will probably happen. So, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get out there sooner than later and, and see you and, and enjoy your food. It looks awesome. I can't even remember how I found you on Instagram. It's always just enjoyable for me to see like new stuff that you're posting, new pictures and everything and and everything that you have going on. So I really hope that you're able to eventually get into a brick and mortar like you want to. But the pop-up is an awesome thing, you know, from what I've seen. And it looks amazing and looks delicious. So I, I can't wait to try it myself.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for the support.
0: Absolutely, but uh, stay in touch. If you know you ever want to come back on the podcast, have something else to plug, or anything like that, open invitation to everyone that comes on. You know, we try and support everybody that comes on as much as possible. So even if it's for like 15 minutes, because you have a new pop up or something like that, or something new on the website or whatever, more than happy to to have you back on anytime. Anything you need from me, let me know. But uh, stay in touch, and we'll hopefully see you soon.
1: I will. Thank you.
0: A big thanks again to Chef Casey Goff for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of one of her days off uh, in between planning pop-ups and creating menus for different events that she's doing. Sounds like uh, she's going to take a little break here, probably just during the holidays, and then uh, ramp it back up to doing a bunch of pop-ups in the beginning of the new year. So make sure to follow them on Instagram, at Wolf and Woman Pop-Up and at Lucky Cricket Pop-Up. That way, any new events, anything that's coming out, you're kind of going to be the first to know as long as you're following along with the account. Make sure to follow us on Instagram too as well at Spoon Mob, Twitter, Facebook, Spoon Mob 1. Website, spoonmob.com. Make sure to check out Wolf and Woman, restaurant.com for any details on future pop-ups. Also, you can order some items that she has for sale. Chef Goff does on website. We ship them to you. So check all that stuff out if you're interested. Appreciate everybody listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. We also have some episodes up on YouTube. Backlog is being remastered. All the way up until, I think, Greg stokes episode was the first one that andrew actually did i did all the ones previously so andrew's going back kind of cleaning those up a little bit so we're all the way up to alex seidel uh, is on youtube there's no video component just audio but if you want to go back through the backlog check those out they're on youtube as well you can subscribe to our youtube page as well appreciate everybody listening check all of the socials out and all that stuff but uh, otherwise we'll talk to you guys next week